Happy New Year. <laughs> so, our first Sunday in 2019. 2019. Does that sound really futuristic to anyone else? I mean, New Year's is a really interesting time, and it's kind of this strange, off-balance time where I never quite feel like I'm doing it right. Like, it creeps up on me, and I'm never quite ready to get, to use, to get used to the idea that it's a new year, right? You keep writing. The few times I'm ever writing checks, I'm writing the wrong, <laughs> writing the wrong date. I feel all of this pressure to notice every moment, to just imbue every minute with meaning to the point that it can be ridiculous. But, you know, I mean, our first worship service of the new year, what does this say about us? What does it portend for the coming year? Uh, the first thing I watched on Netflix this year, what does it say about me and how my year is going to go? The first sandwich of the new year. Like, it can get really ridiculous. <laughs> And and these feelings of, I've got to do it right this time. I'm going to make it a better year. I'm going to make resolutions. I'm going to improve myself. And the great thing about resolutions is at this point, I'm really primed and ready to make some after the Christmas season. The dizzying and voracious Christmas season is over, and I'm left with this post-December hangover that is full-bodied. I spent the week between Christmas and New Year's in a blur of overeating, oversleeping, staying in my pajamas, watching who knows what mindless movies. And I've emerged on the other side in a stupor of guilt. What did I do last week? What did I eat? <laughs> do I dare take a look at my post-Christmas bank account? I ordered what on Amazon? <laughs> so I'm, I'm all full full up of guilt and shame and primed to make resolutions, I will be a better Megan this year. I will improve all the ways I do all the things. I'll be a better mom, a better wife, a better student, a better employee, Carl. <laughs> I'll stop eating sugar and I'll find a way to live my life ethically and be environmentally conscious and stop giving so much of my money to Jeff Bezos. <laughs> What is this? What, what, is, what is this drive, this drive to improve? When I look out at all of you, I don't wish that drive on you. You, you look fine. I'm sure you're doing your best. You are a miraculous reflection of the divine. I truly believe that. You don't need a New Year's resolution. <laughs> when my daughter was born... I was in a pediatrician's waiting room for a well baby checkup, and there was a mother in there with three rambunctious kids, and they're running around, and she's just frazzled and yelling at them and on her cell phone complaining about what brats they are, and I'm looking down at my newborn baby daughter, and it's so scary. I'm going, is that my future? Is that, is that inevitable? Is that going to happen? My little baby girl is so tiny and perfect, and I'm looking at her tiny little fingernails and their perfect little pink nail beds, her tiny little nose, and when would she stop being perfect? When does that transition happen where our kids are no longer amazing little miracles? And then I wonder, when did it happen for me personally? 
Surely there was probably a time when my mother cooed down at infant me and told me that I was God-given perfection. Now I'm definitely not, so what, what happened along the way? There's something in society that tells us, this is your chance, New Year's. This is your chance to go back to being perfect. Make those resolutions. And to that, I'm going to just say no. No, thank you. And I want to invite all of you to come with me on a journey of self-acceptance that begins with recognizing the lie behind our cultural rejection of imperfection. I want to go out on a limb and tell you something. And this might make you feel a little uncomfortable. It's a bit much, and I feel kind of nervous, but we can handle it. Are you ready? I love you. I love you. And that's only half of it. Here's the other half. You deserve love. I love you. And you deserve love. Let's breathe for one moment. Inhale. You deserve love, and you are loved, and you don't have to do anything to earn it. I look at my children, and I'm amazed. In some ways, it feels like they never stopped being perfect. My baby is 18 years old, and she bites her nails, and her little perfect pink nail beds aren't perfect anymore. Or are they? Who gets to decide? Who says? When did you stop being perfect? At what age did the world first point out your flaws? When were you convinced to stop unconditionally loving yourself? Were you ever given a chance to start? I see you. I'm looking at you right now. I see you, and no one else in this room is looking at you. I am. And what I see is perfect. What I see needs no justification, needs no excuse. What I see is an inexplicable miracle and a convergence of chance and happenstance with earnest hard work and best intentions. The lie of perfectionism is out there, and it is insidious. Our culture, saturated as it is in extreme dualistic black and white thinking, tells us that we are worth nothing if we are not perfect. It's one or the other, and that is a lie. It's the same lie that tells us that human beings in wheelchairs are worth less than those of us who are more able-bodied. It is the very same lie that tells us that the lighter our skin, the more worth we have as humans. Perfectionism is an integral part of white supremacist culture. It is the same lie that coerces us to find our self-worth in our reproductive organs, what our gender is, how it correlates with the gender that society expects from us, whether we choose to or are able to reproduce, and who we either reproduce or don't reproduce with. This is the lie. This is the lie of white patriarchy, supremacy, and the lie of dangerous misogyny. And this lie hurts all of us. Dr. Brene Brown encourages us to look at our imperfections. She's discovered through years of research that this very lie, the lie of perfectionism, can be undermined 
simply by pointing it out. When we look at our shame, when we look at our imperfections, when we point them out, they crawl away. They lose their power. Leonard Cohen brilliantly stated that our cracks are where the light gets in. And when I apply this to the idea of a beauty mark, a little mole on a woman's face that makes her more beautiful, an imperfection that actually enhances beauty, perfection is a lie. Perfectionism is dangerous. Author Rebecca Rebecca Solnit says, perfection is a stick with which to beat the possible. And Reverend Carl has delivered the good news that you are saved from perfection. I think my favorite is this Marianne Williamson quote, and it encapsulates the whole idea perfectly. This is a long quote, but boy, is it a good one. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us. It's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. So we are liberated. It's official, Marianne Williamson says so, and I say so. In fact, by the power vested in me as a human being, (laughs) a flawed and imperfect human being who just happens to be standing behind a pulpit, I hereby absolve you from perfection. In fact, I will take it one step further. I want to urge you to fight against the racist and white supremacist construct of perfectionism that pervades our society. It wreaks havoc, not only on us, but on many who are less fortunate than all of us in this room. Part of living into that dismantle racism sign in the atrium is to learn to forgive yourself, to love yourself, to recognize that perfectionism is a lie, to recognize that you deserve love, recognize that you have inherent worth. The beginnings in our lives can be fresh and wonderful. A new year can be a chance to see doors opening. Let's not allow these open doors to pressure us to believe the lie. Life is nothing, if not impermanent. A new year brings change, and a thing once perfect cannot change. In your imperfection, in your rejection of perfection, allow yourself to change, to roll, and move, and become not bound in your old 2018 self. Not one of us gets out of this alive, so we might as well enjoy life as much as we possibly can, and I urge you to. At this point, I'll acknowledge that I've, I've kind of lost the 
the train. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure whether I'm arguing against making New Year's resolutions or arguing that you should make a resolution to battle cultural perfectionism and whatever is the case, just don't do it perfectly. <laughs> But what I do know is that I've been culturally trained that when I look at myself, I see so many flaws. I see so much to be ashamed of. But when I look at you, I picture you as a child. I know inside of you, inside of all of us, is a sweet, earnest child who just wants to be reassured. And it breaks my heart to think that sweet child could possibly feel flawed and unworthy and ashamed. You are lovable. So I guess I must be lovable. We are lovable. Let's say it together. We are lovable. Did that feel corny? <laughs> Just be glad I didn't start singing Kumbaya. <laughs> because I, I probably will one of these days. <laughs> In this time of beginnings, I, I think the pagans have it right. They have the right idea in hearkening back to stories from our ancestors. Each culture has a story about its own beginnings, and we have been handed down a doozy in the story of Adam and Eve. Even if you were never taught to take this story very seriously or literally, it still remains embedded in our culture, in the very air we breathe, spreading xenophobia, misogyny, and fear. Make a mistake and you're expelled from paradise. This idea that we are all descendants of sinners. We've inherited this original sin from the very beginning of humankind. We were just a write-off. <laughs> this is the story that people have told for millennia and continue to tell. Whether it's taken literally or not, it's a dangerous and poisonous story. Now, I don't mean to disrespect a important ancient Jewish story, what I want to do is to point out the ways that this story has been distorted and used in current white Western culture to further oppression that hurts us all. The ways that this story has become so pervasive that, I mean, I, didn't, I haven't told the story. I just said Adam and Eve, and I think you all know what I'm talking about. It's really, really deeply in our culture. All I have to do is say the words Adam and Eve, and we're kind of all on that same page, the same humans are terrible and a disappointment to God page. So what if we told a different story? What about the popular pagan creation story where all of humanity and, in fact, everything that exists was birthed by the great goddess? Imagine what a society would be like if it told and retold its children this story instead of a story of shame and guilt and an angry God. Or the Iroquois creation story where humans were created by wise animals such as the coyote and crow. How much more stable and secure does that make you feel? How much more connected to nature as opposed to our story where the wise animal, the snake, brought only punishment and shame? Or how about this story from the Berbers of North Africa? Before creation began, one man and one woman lived under the earth. They were unaware that they were different until the day they had a disagreement at the drinking well. When the woman insisted that she be the first to drink the water, the man pushed her aside and she fell to the ground. The bottom of her garment rose up and she was exposed. 
When the man asked about her body, she said that it represented good. He stayed with her for eight nights, and eventually she gave birth to 50 sons and 50 daughters. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Overwhelmed by the number of children they had produced, they sent their children above ground where they created mankind and expanded on earth. So that's that's a little crazy, but <laughs> but they're not asking you to believe in a talking snake. So, which story is really more believable? <laughs> but I'm going to have to vote as my favorite creation story, Douglas Adams' short creation story. In the beginning, the universe was created. This has made a lot of people very angry and has been widely regarded as a bad move. <laughs> And to be honest with you, I think that is actually a way more positive story in the sense that, well, a lot more positive than Adam and Eve, in the sense that in Douglas Adams' story, the problems in the universe is put on the creator and not the created. So it's still better. (laughs) What if you were willing to dare to write your own creation story? What would that look like? For me, a story that is incredibly dear to my heart is Forest Church's Cathedral of the World. I was fortunate to encounter this story right as I was discovering Unitarian Universalism many years ago. It is so important to me that I adapted it for children, and you heard me read it a few minutes ago at the Time for All Ages. This story of the cathedral of the world encapsulates for me so many of my beliefs and so much of my faith, the basis of which is both love and pluralism. And that pluralism is about how we won't all agree. We already know that. What is right for you might not be what's right for me. What's right for you very likely won't be what's right for me. We start off already knowing that. But we can support each other and love each other. And that is where I'm coming from when I stand here today and say, I love you. I mean that you are deserving of love even though you are not perfect. You are deserving of love precisely because you're not perfect. You are deserving of love, and I want to shake down the heteronormative, hegemonic system and question everything, including what even is perfect and who gets to decide. You are deserving of love. Period. No discussion of perfection needed. Perfection can be an especially cruel concept for those of us who are outside of the typical. My son has autism. Is he not perfect? Was he imperfect as an infant? There are autistic people who view their autism as a disability, such as my son. There are other people on the autism spectrum who consider their autism to be anything but a disability, just a difference, like left-handedness or being blue-eyed. Those of us who are neurotypical don't have the place to judge. I once had the distinct pleasure of sharing an office with a conservative libertarian man who would freely challenge my homosexuality, asking questions around the theme of, if scientists could discover a gay gene, wouldn't I be so excited to be fixed? Wouldn't I love to be made normal? It's clear to all of us why this line of questioning is problematic, offensive, 
But it helps me to keep in mind that there are folks in other communities who feel this same offense when we assume that their differences ought to be fixed. I'm going to tell you one last story. This is a story that some of you already know. Once upon a time, in 2004, there was a UU minister named Reverend Jason Shelton. With a deeply compassionate and loving heart, this very talented musician wrote a lovely song called Standing on the Side of Love. Many years later, another UU minister, Reverend Teresa Soto, a queer woman of color, (laughs) spoke out about the use of the word standing and how the use of that word in that song was ableist. Reverend Shelton changed the lyrics to answering the call of love. In my eyes, both of the people in this story are heroes. Reverend Soto made a brave and important statement, and she made it well. Reverend Shelton, to his credit, listened and adjusted. He didn't fall apart under the realization that he and his song were not perfect. He did not resolve and make resolutions to write better or more inclusive songs in the future. He acted in the moment. Maya Angelou said that when we know better, we do better. Simply doing better when we know better is in itself a powerful blow against white supremacist perfectionist culture. So I'd like to ask you all to rise in body and spirit to, as we sing together hymn number 1014, which in the hymnal is titled Standing on the Side of Love. And the way we're going to do it is that the soloists are going to sing the verses, and we together will attempt to sing the chorus as answering the call of love. But we're going to embrace our imperfection and just sing it out, sing it loud. That's what matters. <laughs> 